Welcome to another episode of The Forecast. I'm Post Media National Golf Writer John McCarthy, here with Sun Media Golf Writer Dave Hilson. How you doing, John? We made it to episode two. We made it. Many said we wouldn't make it this far, but we have. Uh, today we're going to talk a bit about the CP Women's Open next month at Magna Golf Club. We're going to talk about how the Canadians are doing on tour. We're going to go into a bit of a British Open preview. And we're also going to have an interview with Brooke Henderson. And the forecast is brought to you by Callaway. Learn more about how to up your game at callawaygolf.ca. Okay, Dave. So today uh, we were both at Magna. They had a media day. Uh, we, people could play the course. Uh, Brooke Henderson was there. Laurie Kane was there. Uh, people from Golf Canada. I didn't play the course. I'm still recovering from a, a gardening injury. Nothing too serious. What happened there, John? Well, I was gardening and uh, and that's hard enough uh, when you don't garden that much. So I woke up feeling a little sore and uh, my hamstrings qu- weren't quite ready for a round of golf yet. <laughs> but let's not get into that. Uh, let's talk about you. You did play the course. Um, what were your thoughts? Uh, very beautiful course, very scenic, rolling hills. It's up near Aurora, Ontario. And, uh, Beacon with- Hall is right near there. Another fantastic golf course. It's just, it is beautiful, uh, land for golf courses up there. So for people not in Ontario, it's just north of Toronto a little bit. Anyway, beautiful rolling hills. So the course is very scenic, forested. Um, I think the big challenge for the players will be with the greens, and they're heavily bunkered. Uh, elevated greens, so you're not going to be able to roll any balls in there. Mm-hmm. And the greens are huge, and they're undulating. I think there's going to be a lot of tough pin placements. I saw know. a lot of runoff areas, too. It looks like they're... Uh, yes, yeah. a lot of runoff areas. So, yeah, you have to be precise with your approaches. Um, the fairways are generous, though. So, I don't think anybody's going to have problems uh, from tee to fairway. It's more going to be coming into the greens that's going to cause some problems. Brooke Henderson was saying she's looking forward to uh, tee shots there. She thinks she can be aggressive and uh, her distance will will give her advantage over some of the field. I think it will because if you can come in with short irons, you're going to have a better chance of sticking the ball where you want, right, yeah. rather than a long iron. But uh, mm-hmm. I was told by uh, tournament director Ryan Paul that the course is going to play about 6,700 yards for the women. And we played at about that distance today. Didn't find it particularly difficult. The only hole that I thought was a little bit intimidating because the distance was a par three second hole over water. And we played from about 200 yards. And I played the course last year as well. And the wind was swirling there both times. So that could give the women some trouble, I think. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, it looks like the field, I mean, you, they always get a great field for that. But they mentioned like every major champion, every reigning major champion will be there, 90 of the top 100. So they always get a great field. So there'll be no shortage of, you know, star power from the LPGA. Yeah. And this is the first time since 2001 the tournaments have been back in the GTA area. So it's really going to get a high profile this time. So it'll be nice. Mm-hmm. Brooke won it last year in Regina. Yep. Going to be a lot more fans here, I think, this year. Yeah. She was saying, uh, well, you'll, you'll hear later on, but she's looking forward to getting back into Ontario and having a lot of friends and family there. It's Although she's not short on support anywhere she goes in this country, I almost think that I mean, we used to have two LPGA events. It seems like with the with the success of Brooke, you know, you could almost maybe get another one here again. Yeah, I think it's kind of sad, actually, that we lost that other, the Manulife uh, LPGA Classic. It ran for maybe about five years. Mm-hmm. I think the last time it was held was uh, 2017. But it seems like Canada should have more than one LPGA event to me. Yeah, it is funny though that we are so we're such a golf crazed country, and uh, every time you travel outside of Canada, they can't sort of 
imagine how much we love golf considering we play it in most parts of the country about six months a year. Yeah. But one uh, woman not going to be in the field will be Michelle Wee. Uh, so she's shutting it down for the year. Injuries. Um, most golf fans probably saw sort of her emotional uh, pre- press conference after her round. Uh, injuries, injuries, injuries has sort of been the story of her career. Yeah, it sure has. And, and you know, this could be it. We might not see Michelle anymore. I mean, the way she talked, she was just closing it down for the year uh, just to fill people in. Wrist injury, basically. She had some surgery on it, I believe, last year. And uh, it started giving her trouble again. Yeah, and it's a real shame. I mean, she was – when she was first coming up, I mean, there was no bigger story in uh, women's golf for – she was a generational talent. She didn't quite turn into a generational player, but she was certainly a generational talent. And the first golf tournament I ever covered was actually the uh, our National Open in uh, Quebec and Mirabel, and she was the defending champ. So I was covering it in 2011, and I had no idea really how to cover a golf tournament. Right. So I was I was following her because she was you know the, probably the most exciting player in the field, defending champ. So I actually just found her her parents, and I was staying close to them on every hole because I figured if I'm, if I stay close to them, they obviously know where to stand to, yeah. to watch their daughter golf. And it was quite funny. They actually stood on a lot of the time on opposite sides of the hole, but they were, they were very focused and they were very involved in her round of golf. I, I tried to get a word with them after, but they said they, they don't speak to the media. Oh, really? Eh? Yeah. When you say involved, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, they were not, um, they weren't enjoying the day like uh, – I mean, you, you get nervous parents, but these they were – it was like they were living and dying with every single shot um, that she made. And I can imagine that they'd been doing that a long time. And it, it's, uh, it is, it's a shame that a, a career that looked like she could have been one of the great players in history and she ends up with uh, a handful of wins and, and, and gone yeah. maybe, you know, maybe too soon gone from the game. But we'll hope not. It's interesting because, yeah, a handful of wins. That's exactly what she has. She has five wins. She uh, got onto the tour as a rookie in 2009. I think people thought she was going to tear it up, but it, it just it didn't happen. And I, I wonder, I don't know what you think about this, but I wonder if there was some mismanagement there because, you know, they were so, uh, they being her parents, I think, maybe there was other people involved too, but uh so cons- they wanted to get her such a high profile. She did have a high profile because she could really hit the ball and stuff. But they started trying to get her to get in these men's mm-hmm. qualify for men's P- PGA tournaments. The first time was in 2004, I think, the Sony Open. She was only 14. Now, she only missed by the cut by one stroke, which is amazing. But eight times she tried to you know, get into a PGA Tour event, miss the cut every time. Maybe she should have been concentrating on the women's game a little bit more. Yeah, you might be right. And I mean, it's funny because sports, golf and sports is full of parents that that push kids hard. And it's always funny when I talk to people about about this, everybody sort of seems to feel or most people seem to feel that, oh, it's not right to, to push kids that hard. But when you see the number of kids that make it in any sport a lot of them have parents that push them very hard so i have a hard time um having a problem with a, with a parent that is is pushing a kid and i mean if the kid doesn't want to do it and or you're doing anything you know obviously you you still have to treat them with love but it takes a lot of uh it takes some pressure and it's these kids you don't sometimes a kid is not going to uh become who he could be if you just leave him to his own devices true enough 
Did your parents push you at all? <laughs> uh, I was playing mainly hockey growing up and I, I was pushed a bit, but not to the level that I saw around me and some of the uh, other kids. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I wasn't pushed enough, I'm afraid. <laughs> Did that, do you look back thinking, oh, you wish you had, your parents had to push you a little bit more? Because I, 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 I do actually, so. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I, I, I played hockey competitively growing up at sort of the highest level in minor hockey, played junior hockey. I was the third string goalie at the uh, Western Mustangs, which, I mean, 20 years ago, I'm, that was a pretty prestigious position. You got to work just as hard as everyone, practice six days a week, but you didn't have to play. So it was, <laughs> it was a great job. But no, I mean, I don't think I had what it probably what it took to, to go any further, but I did see a lot of parents pushing kids hard. I mean, it works when the kids got incredible talent. If the kid doesn't have the talent, then you know, it, it, it turns into usually not something unfortunate. Yeah. And there's no doubt, Michelle, we had the talent for sure. I also got a chance to see her. I can't remember exactly what year it was, but it was at one of the Manulife Classics. And I believe it was at Gray Silo, which is in uh, uh, Waterloo before it moved over to uh, Whistle Bear. And uh, it was on a par five and she was having a discussion with her caddy about what to hit off the tee. The fairway ran out at about 275 yards, and then there was some rough, and then there was some marsh. And uh, she was saying, she said, I remember the word. She goes, well, I'll just punch down on a three-wood and kind of, you know, get it towards the end of the fairway. Well, she blew it right through. Mm. I mean, she could really hit the ball. And, I, I mean, she was fun to watch for sure. Yeah, and one last thing about Michelle Wee that I, want, I think is actually very positive is under the weight of such expectations – and for everything she went through, she really has managed in the last, especially it seems like maybe five, six years to be very comfortable in her own skin. And I mean, off the course, at least she seems very happy. So I think for somebody who's, you know, was a prodigy and a star growing up, sometimes adulthood doesn't turn out, uh, they don't seem as happy as she actually seems. And I think it's pretty... It, it shows uh, her character that she's able has been able to become the woman that she is. Yeah, I agree with you about that. She does seem comfortable in her skin now. And it must be weird to be in the spotlight internationally at such a young age, you know? Yeah. But in the end, if I can just throw out a couple numbers here. Rookie year 2009, five victories, f 59 top 10s, one major of the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. Pretty impressive. That's a good career. But then you look at Brooke... She's only 21 and rookie year 2015 already has nine victories, 42 top tens. She's earned a million dollars less than Michelle did in her career, but she's going to surpass that in no time. Yeah. Yep. Well, speaking of Brooke Henderson, we had a chance to talk with Brooke today at Magna uh, about her being the defending champion of the CP Women's Open. And right now we'll go to our interview with Brooke Henderson. I'd like to welcome Brooke Henderson. Normally when we talk to Brooke, it's because we are giving her the Post Media Athlete of the Year Award. But this time we're at Magna Golf Club, site of next month's CP Women's Open, where you're the defending champion. How excited are you to get back to Ontario for the CP Women's Open? Yeah, I'm so excited. One, to be defending champion, which is really cool. And second, you know, to be back in Ontario, a little bit closer to home. Maybe more family and friends will come up uh, and watch this year. And it's just really exciting. This golf course is amazing. You know, this is the first time that I've seen all 18 holes. Uh, I was here when I was really young, but don't remember a whole lot. So to be back, to see how perfect the conditions are, I know the LPGA girls are going to love it. And I 
definitely see there's a lot of birdie opportunities out here. Also some holes where, you know, par is good, but, you know, hopefully I can get a great strategy and go post some low numbers. It seems like there's a lot of room off the tee here to take advantage of if you're a longer hitter, a good driver. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, definitely. I definitely like to use my length to my advantage. Um, Ball striking, too, is one of my strengths. So, you know, hopefully I can hit a lot of fairways, get it deep off the tee, then hit the ball in the correct places and give myself some birdie looks. So recently the Toronto Raptors won and they united the whole country. We Lots of stories about that. But I guess you were like the Raptors before the Raptors when you were uniting the country last year. Have you, uh, have you ever thought of it in that light when you were watching the Raptors that you were actually were sort of doing the same thing last year in Regina? Uh, you know, I loved watching them during the playoffs. They were incredible. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, we'd finish our round of golf and, oh, the Raptors play tonight, so we'd stay up and watch. And, you know, it was really inspiring and motivating. And, you know, to get my ninth win, Meyer was right after the Raptors won, and I just kind of wanted to keep the excitement rolling here in Canada um, and get another win for them. So that was really fun, and I really feel like I fed off the energy um, from the Raptors win. Does it seem, when you're watching it, does it sort of seem possible that you were actually on the other end of that, or when you're in it, is it hard to, is it hard to know that the whole country is behind you? Uh, you know, the support that I received from the entire country is unreal. Um, since I turned pro when I was 17, and now I'm 21, and just uh, I really come to realize how incredible the fans in Canada really are, and it's cool too because I've been able to make fans all around the world playing on the LPJ Tour with such a global tour, and uh, it's just been so much fun. And you know, hopefully, I can keep it going. You talk about turning pro at 17. I was talking to Celeste Dow couple maybe a month ago and she was saying that uh, you were her idol growing up and she's she's uh, going to university is it a little surreal that at 21 you could be an 18 year old's idol <laughs> yeah that, for sure that's it's really cute though um she's a great girl and she's a great player too so hopefully she can do some great things at school and, and see what happens but it's pretty special to see young kids girls and boys want your autograph want a picture with you it's pretty inspiring for me one of the shots you uh, often hit is a driver off the deck, which is um, sort of every recreational player's nightmare to try and hit that. Would you have any tips for anyone who's obviously not as good as you trying to hit driver off the deck? Is it sort of you keep a no? <laughs> um, I think when you're first trying it, make sure you have an upslope with okay. the ball. It makes it a little bit easier. <laughs> what about a quiet body like in a fairway bunker? Does that do anything or no? I don't think so. I think once you get the upslope, then you're pretty much good to go. Um, your sister's on your bag, and the relationship you have with her, do you think that um, it almost allows you two to have a much uh, quicker conversations? You there's not a lot of, you don't have to, you can spare the niceties with each other. Uh, is that, does that helpful out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, being able to trust in her opinion and respect her opinion so much that I think it really works well, and she understands uh, that at the end of the day I'm the player and I'm going to make the final decision but she's really talented at laying out all the options everything she thinks and then also suggesting what she really thinks is the best idea and you know I can kind of say yes or no to that or revise it a little bit so we have a great relationship and it's worked really well for the last four years that we've been together and it's it's fun to be able to be out there with your sister and, and like you said you don't have to sugarcoat it at all you know you can just kind of get down to the facts and, and make a good decision that way so you were also a goalie before you're a golfer both golfers and goalies are sort of known for talking to themselves and it's a sports that can drive you kind of insane did you talk to yourself as a goalie and as a golfer and where do you talk to yourself more <laughs> yeah I feel like that 
rep of being a little bit weird. Uh, <laughs> definitely hear that a lot. But I think with both sports, you know, you just have to be so mentally strong. And, I mean, I think that can come in different ways. But when it comes down to it, just being able to focus in the moment and embrace the pressure that a goalie has definitely and that a golfer has out on the course. And do you talk to yourself out there? Uh, I, I think everybody talks to themselves a little bit, but I try to be kind. <laughs> when we spoke in January, you said you were working on your short game, your putting, but you also said you were going to try and work on hitting it further. Is that something you are still interested in and you're still trying to do out there, gain some more yards? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like every year if you're not gaining a little bit of distance, then you're just sort of falling behind and you know, the tour is just getting stronger, and so any advantage that you can have, you want to you wanna take advantage of that. And for me, that's length and ball striking, and then if I can clean up my short game, as I mentioned, on which I've been focusing a lot over the last two years, then I think I'll be in contention a little bit more and be hoisting a few more trophies. Last question. So you've checked a lot of boxes. You've won a major championship. You've won the CP Women's Open. You're the winningest Canadian ever. Long-term goals. Is there anything left? Do you, is world number one in your mind somewhere? Uh, yeah, you know, I think the way the Rolex World Bankings are set up, it's sort of difficult for me to reach the number one spot just because I play so many events. Um, just the divisor is a little bit weird that way. But, you know, I, I've been in the top ten for a long time now, and I think... I believe that I am a top 10 player and, and every week I'm just trying to you know, get a little bit closer to that number one spot. I think CME rank is really important as well. Um, you know, I think I'm in the top five right now this year already and you know, if I could get that closer to that number one spot heading into Naples at the end of the year and have a chance to win an extra million dollars, which would be pretty cool. I want to thank Brooke for joining us and good luck next month. Cool, thank you. ChromeSoft isn't just another tour ball. It's the golf ball that's changing how tour balls are made. When Callaway made a low-compression, low-spin tour ball, others said they might be onto something and tried doing the same. But they can't, because ChromeSoft is the only ball engineered with a graphene-infused dual soft-fast core for serious speed and unbelievable control around the greens. See for yourself why everyone is playing and loving ChromeSoft. Order the ball that changed the ball at CallawayGolf.ca. All right, we want to thank Brooke Henderson for giving us some time. That was great. Um, there are some other Canadians on the PGA Tour, and we want to talk a bit about how they've been doing in recent weeks. And one in particular made some news today. Austin Connolly qualified for the British Open. So that that's great. I mean, we went from having zero Canadians in the uh, British Open before, before the Canadian Open, we had zero Canadians going to the British Open. Now we have three in Hadwin, Connors, and Connolly. So that's, yeah. that's great news. So Hadwin qualified at the Canadian Open. He Correct. picked up one of the spots. and uh, Connors through the strength of his uh, world ranking. And now Austin Connolly at a qualifying event overseas. The three of them that will be at the British Open. Let's talk a bit about the British Open. Sure. It's um, it's coming up. We're going to have one more show, and then uh, and then after that, I'll be over there. Royal Port Rush. I I had the chance to play the course a few months ago. Okay, it is one of the most scenic, gorgeous courses you'll ever see. It will look fantastic on television. I love it. It's just the most lush, beautiful place. Of, Food's great. The people are awesome. And the golf courses are incredible. Port Rush will be, uh, um, like I said, it'll be a treat to watch. And surprisingly, well, it's the first time the 
British Open's been there since 1951. So it's been 68 years. Um, Tiger Woods has never played the course. Um, I was sort of surprised hearing a number of players that had never played it. But I guess if it's not part of the Open uh, Rota, maybe you you would just skip it. But they've they've played County Down, but uh, a number of them have not ever played Port Rush. Is there is there any other course that you've encountered in your travels over in the UK covering the British Open or whatever that is similar that people similar. can? Well, as far as scenic, I mean, I played Turnberry. And it was, I had a fun night the night before, we'll call it. So okay. my memory's a bit hazy, but. Sort of like Roy McIlroy after winning the Canadian <laughs> Open. But as far as just the sheer beauty of the, of the views, I mean, Port Rush was right up there. I, I, it, it's, um, well, fans of Game of Thrones will actually, I'm sure they'll talk about it during the broadcast, but they film a lot of Game of Thrones in Northern Ireland. And so interesting story. When I was there, my caddy, um, my caddy had two weeks to live. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That so. must have been scary. <laughs> well, it's not as depressing as it sounds. He actually, <laughs> so he was an extra on Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. And he said that uh, he was telling us that two weeks from when we played was the episode where he gets uh, killed by dragon fire. Oh. So he got burned to pieces by dragon. But Did you see it? I saw the episode. I couldn't make him out. I mean, <laughs> there's about 100,000 of them getting killed that episode. Did he have a golf bag on his back in the episode? <laughs> I hadn't seen any caddies in the Game of Thrones before. <laughs> but... So the fifth hole is maybe the most breathtaking on the golf course. It's uh, the caddy says to me on the approach shot, he says, you know, if you anything long just falls into the sea, which isn't exactly what you want your caddy to, to say. So yeah. you, you definitely don't want to over club there, but it, it's uh, the par four fifth and there's about a yard after the green and then it just drops off wow. cliff to beach. And it's that beach there is where they filmed a lot of Game of Thrones. Uh, did you watch the show? I I did, you did yes. You know the red woman. Yeah, she had those wild scenes on the beach. Oh, okay, the fires. That's oh. the beach they oh. use for that. And oh wow. Cal Drag Drago. Cal Drago was sort of riding his horses on the beach. That was filmed right there. Oh, that's pretty neat. So there, there actually, there's a lot of uh, the tourism over there. They're sort of pushing you know golf and Game of Thrones because it's such a such a popular show. But it's um, well, if you're familiar with the show, it's just that sort of breathtaking, rugged ruggedly beautiful you know i guess weather is going to play a big part in how the scores uh, scoring is yeah obviously i mean it's uh that is that's sort of what's great about the british open is that um it's like if the weather they're counting on weather and if the weather doesn't come they understand that scores will be low uh, at a lot of these golf courses but there's not sort of that they don't get uppity about it like the usga does it's um i think they realize there that you know the weather Weather's a part of it, and if it's if the weather's not there, it's okay. Have at you know, have at it, guys. Let's see what you can do. Let's set some records, and if you shoot low enough, we'll, we'll put a trophy, up, put a statue of you up there. I kind of think it's a it's a better attitude to have than sort of oh, oh no, what are you doing against par? Isn't there some mythology that surrounds the course too? I, I saw something about it being like the land of giants or something like this. Have you heard? Did they talk I, to you about I, that? I, I saw. I did see that. I yeah. The giant causeway. I mean, I was sort of. Uh, I didn't. I was watching the. I think the same video they were showing it at Port Rush. The uh, so Martin Ebert did the uh, some renovations on the course. I guess the RNA said that the 17th and 18th weren't uh, strong enough if they're going to have a British Open, so they got rid of them. And so now the old the 16th hole is now the closing hole. So sorry, did they just reroute the holes, or they actually made no, two? They, they got rid of two holes, and then yeah. there's two courses there. There's um, the valley course. They took sort of land from that valley course and 
made two new holes. That's what I guess Martin Ebert did. And then, um, so those holes have been inserted. I think it's thir- those are 13 and 14 now. I could be wrong on that, but um, the signature hole calamity is a par three, 200, a little over 200 yards, sort of over this chasm. And uh, that was the old 14th hole. It's now going to be the 16th, which, which I think is a great hole to have. A, so the water's kind of crashing in below you. crashing in yeah. um, and it water's on, it's on the, on your right. So these guys, if they're trying to play a draw into there, they're going to have to start the ball over sort of out over the sea a bit and bring it back. There is, there's a bowl on the left of the green, which is where my cat, my game of Thrones caddy was saying, Everybody should aim, if you're not a professional, aim for that bowl because it's the safest place to hit it. And if you happen to, uh, if you hit it with enough force or with a nice low shot, it sort of rolls around and pops back out onto the green. So it's a nice bailout area, but I don't think these guys will be looking to be bailing out. No, probably not. No, but I just love golf over there. I mean, it's... um, it's not that there's not like you know. It's not that there's not money in it. Like obviously, if you're going to Royal County Down, Royal Port Rush, these, it's uh, you can tell that there's rich class right. people there. But it's it's not so in your face. Like everything is just is set more naturally. Like uh, County Down, you know, you're walking down a little path and there's a wrought iron gate, and at the top it says Royal County Down. You sort of swing the gate open, walk down this little garden path, and next thing you know, there's a golf course right in front of you. Right, right. But it's it's not like um. It's not like over here where, you know, even you go sort of all of a sudden, it's just all there in your face. It's bright green compared to whatever the Home Depot across the street. It Over there, it really does feel like it's uh, it's sort of was always supposed to be there. Right, right. And do the courses in Ireland ever get burnt out the way they do in the on like in yeah, England? Yeah, for and- sure. So um, last summer, they had one of their hottest spells in years and years and years. And our caddy showed us a uh, the Google map photo or google earth photo of that from that time and it was insane it was just completely brown the only green things were the greens so it was just as brown as can be they said the members loved it because they're these 60 70 year old members that all of a sudden could hit 330 yard drives right 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 which is again why i love links golf i think um it's funny that right now we have this debate going all about technology yeah uh, problem with distance yeah it's like the answer for the distance and technology problem in golf is it's actually links golf. It's like a, it's, you know, it's hundreds of years old, but you go over there and if it's dry and fast, the bombers don't have an advantage because you've got, you'll have Zach Johnson hitting 350 yard drives and 290 yard four irons. So right. it equals the playing field. And um, I really think that it's, it's maybe the most fun you can have on a golf course is when that, when the turf is, is running the sandy turf, turf, just like the ball bounces around, you don't know where it's going to go. Um, County Down sometimes I think it's a it gets a bit more renowned than Port Rush. County Down's on the list; it's number you know one, two, three top courses in the world. Okay, but I think Port Rush will be a better course for the British Open because there's County Down. I think I might have liked it a touch better, but I mean we're being super picky here. But it's it's got a lot of blind shots, like probably twelve. 13 blind shots at county down yeah you like those i don't why if i have a caddy i like them yeah um but i know the pros don't usually like them they like to see the golf course in front of them so i think uh in that respect i'm not a pro but i i agree (laughs) in that respect i think they uh the pros would prefer to play the open at port rush probably um we talked to McDowell, Graham McDowell. So he qualified for the British Open at the in Canadian Hamilton, Open, made yeah. that thirty foot par putt. It was awesome. Yeah, 
And he he's reckons, so he's from there. He reckons he's played the course 300 to 500 times. That's incredible. And then you compare him to a guy like Tiger who's never played the course. You yeah. know, how much of an advantage do you think it will be? It's got to be a fairly big <laughs> advantage. I mean, and and you look at Graham's numbers this year. He's been having a fairly decent season. Three top 10s, one win, 45th in the FedEx Cup. Came in T8 in Canada at Hamilton. T16 at US Open. He's only missed one cut all year. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's got to be a big advantage, you would think. And he seemed pumped. Didn't he? Yeah, he he's going to be playing there. He did. So yeah, he's he's from there, and Brooks Kepka's caddy is also from Port Rush. Okay, I don't know if he was just trying to one up uh, GMAC, but he said that he's played the course a thousand times. <laughs> How many times do you think you've played? What course have you played the most? Well, it must have been when I was a kid playing Owen Sound Golf and Country Club, which is now called Legacy Ridge. Uh, and I mean, between the ages of ten and fourteen, I played that course a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> But uh, I don't know if I played it 500 times. I'm not sure. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out with some friends, how much you've played the course you played the most. So I think I've played – I grew up playing Brampton Golf Club, and I think I've played it a 1,000 times. Really? I do think so. I was a pre-junior, a junior, an intermediate – back when you had no responsibility other yeah. than golfing. Yeah. And we, my parents used to drop drop us off there in the summer, and you just hang out there, you, you know – sign things to your parents tab and yeah, play oh, as yeah. much golf as humanly possible i ate a lot of burgers <laughs> yeah so so yeah so you've got uh ricky elliott's played there a thousand times Graham mcdowell's played there 500 times actually i talked to ricky elliott after the after brooks won the u.s open and we're asking what a advantage it'll be yeah. for brooks and he said, "Oh, I don't even know if Brooks knows I'm from Port Rush. I think he I'm pretty sure he was joking." Right. But he said, he said, "Yeah, I've played it a thousand times, but I never landed my ball in the spots that Brooks is going to land his because I might have to go back through my yardage book <laughs> and, and relearn it." Right. But it's it's got to it's got to be an advantage for sure. And I remember at the Canadian Open uh, Mackenzie Hughes, who's from, you know, close by Hamilton, Dundas, Ontario. He was talking about how he'd played that course, you know, quite a lot, but it was nowhere near the amount of times that graham mcdowell has played port rush so we'll yeah. see uh so he's got to be on your radar i would get he said like had a decent year he's got to be on your radar as being a favorite right because Who, of that, that gmac yeah i don't know if i'd call him a favorite i would probably look at his odds and if they're uh in the 40 to 1 category i think he would probably be a good bet that's right. for sure well he's g mac you're j mac you gotta <laughs> lay some money on him don't you I, I i only have one successful bet and it was uh years ago when ernie ells won the british open i had him at 40 to 1 oh wow at uh some nice money on him and it, it paid off in spades you remember what you did with the money i i'm <laughs> no, getting no <laughs> instantly blew it i'm sure <laughs> you didn't invest it i didn't i did not <laughs> invest him so Francesco Molinari is the uh, reigning champion. Yeah, defending champ. Uh, what do we think of his game and his chances? Uh, also having a good year. Uh, 21st FedEx Cup. He's come. In, he won the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Third at the WGC Dell Technologies. T5 Masters. T16 US Open. Missed one cut all year. Hmm. And he won at Carnoustie last year. You've covered there. I have not. No, no I did not okay. cover last year. I haven't been there. Okay. I'm just curious how they, the two courses mm-hmm. would compare to each other. I, I'm not sure. So I, I was at the Arnold Palmer when Molinari won. Um, I'm interested to see the next time he's in contention at a major because with what happened at the Masters when he hit two balls in the water, 
an amen corner. Um, those things can stick with you. Yeah. And I want to see, I mean, I guess he had a decent finish at the U.S. Yeah, Open. Yeah, he did. But, but I, w- I want to see him in, under the gun again. I, w- I mean, nowadays it does seem like guys have a, I don't know if they've just got better mental coaches or better philosophies about the game. Guys do seem to often get over things like that, maybe better than they once did. But I, w- I want to see him in contention. I want to see how he reacts after watching that at Augusta. You know, it's funny you say that. Just back to the Canadian Open for a second, but Mackenzie Hughes, uh, first or second day, he was going along smashingly, and then he picked up a double bogey on his final hole. And uh, it was asked of him the next day, how how long did it take him to get over that? You know, He said immediately, he said, it, hmm. it was by the time I left the course, it was – behind me sort of thing. So I think guys do are able to just put stuff behind them. Right. Um, but how, how good is Molinari really? No, I mean, I, I was very, very impressed by his game and, and it's basically that master's hiccups. The only thing that's got me uh, wondering, I mean, he was always such an incredible ball striker hit all those fairways and then he all of a sudden could putt and that made the whole difference in, in his career. If it, once he added, you know, being a good to, above average putter to his game he was he looked you know like one of the, he'd be one of the favorites at every major he steps onto for the next couple of years but again i want to see what he's going to do next time he's in contention yeah now a guy i like who who is probably my favorite golfer but rory mcelroy he's probably a couple of good drives away from the golf course as well where he grew up it's not far is it yeah no he shot a uh he shot a 61 there as a 16 year old so that's and that's not- that stands as the chorus record, right? I believe so. Yeah. So that's pretty sweet. Um, sure is. Yeah, he's had a great year too. He's got two wins. He's uh, he's basically top tening everywhere he goes. Yeah, two wins, eleven top tens, three FedEx Cup or third in the FedEx Cup standings. Of course, he won in Canada. Yeah, which was fantastic. Yep. He took a little heat when he didn't play, so he's skipping the Irish Open, which is uh, this week. Yeah. Um, I think it's completely unwarranted heat, but I mean, it, he was taking some heat from fans over there and a couple writers over there that I think maybe were just looking to uh, stir, stir the pot a bit. But so he was the host of the tournament for five years. Right. And during the time he was host, the purse like tripled, nearly tripled. Uh, the field got so much better because he was, you know, asking his, his friends to come over and play. Yeah. And he, he assumed that because with the, uh, the open in Northern Ireland that he would get a pass if he was, he's always trying to do is prepare properly for, for the biggest, you know, tournament of the year for him. Right. And, but he, he took some heat over it. So he's just taking the week off, is he, or? Yeah. Well, he said he wants to play the week before majors. So he played in, he played in Canada before the U S open. Yeah. So if he wants to play the week before a major, then he's going to be playing the Scottish Open. And if he's going to play the Irish Open, then all of a sudden he's playing three weeks in a row going into the British Open. And and he said he doesn't mind playing three weeks in a row, but it's been a pretty busy with the the new schedule. He's been pretty busy. So I don't think he wanted to play uh, three weeks in a row going into it. Yeah, which is totally understandable, right? I mean, he's got to manage his, his time, basically, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this would be... Obviously, the the biggest win of his career, I would say, back home if he could possibly do it. So he's got to do anything he can to uh, be in the best shape he could possibly be in. Yeah. Speaking of being prepared for this tournament, I'm kind of surprised that we were having a look earlier at, at the names of guys that are playing over there. And, at the Irish Open? Yeah, at the Irish Open, which is close to Port Rush, I believe. Yeah. yeah. What's the name of the? Lahinch. Lahinch. Yeah. 
which yeah, yeah, which but- looks similar from what I've seen. And there's I don't think there's a big American name in the field. Yeah, I know. Like you, you would think sort of sitting on the sidelines. I think you, we were talking before that you you would go over there. Oh, I'd go over for three weeks, sure. get used to everything. But I think what the difference is these guys. It's it seems all it's all about managing themselves and their bodies and their games. So it's I think they they feel that what they gain from sticking to a, sort of a comfortable schedule for themselves outweighs playing a links course three straight weeks i don't right. think i don't think they feel they can gain um instant enough knowledge on links courses to make up for the fact that they'd rather be comfortable in their own perhaps home or whatever they're doing however they want to best prepare for a major yeah i think they would rather do that than go and play a course that might be similar right for me part of it would just be to get adapted to the time change and yeah. things like that you know um, of course, they're flying in their own personal planes and stuff. They don't have to get stuck in economy on transat like I do. So I slept in uh, the Los Angeles airport on my way home from the U.S. Open. My flight was canceled, so right. I pro- I was going to be on a red eye, but I couldn't make it. There was no hotel possibility, so I slept on the floor, which was absolutely miserable. Do you think that ever happens to Phil? <laughs> I don't think so. I think, <laughs> I think I may- there is a few guys out there that have slept on floors, but usually it's not because they've missed a flight. Yeah. Nate Lashley actually might have been one of those guys sleeping on floors and still he won the Rocket Mortgage Classic uh, last week and yeah, put some been, money in his there's pocket. There's been a lot of life-changing, uh, life-changing events recently with Ches Reevy winning, with him winning, yeah. with uh, a bunch of them. Yeah. Actually, another guy which brings us to a tournament near here, uh, Doc Redman, came in uh, second at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, picked up 800000 bucks, 788000 to be uh, precise. He's a McKenzie Tour member in four events this year, having come in second. And one of those, he had won a grand total of 26,000 bucks. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to play in Osprey Valley in a couple of weeks, but McKenzie Tour sent out a press release saying he won't be on the McKenzie Tour this year again. So, <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. And next week, we're going to be talking a full episode about the British Open. We're going to preview the tournament and then the following week i will be at port rush and we'll be talking live to you won't we oh i don't know if it'll be live but you will definitely be calling me there and we'll, we'll try and uh, figure this whole thing out with me in port rush and, and you here in the studio in toronto but again thanks for listening to the forecast i'm john mccarthy and i'm dave hilson and we'll be back next week with another episode 